0: You have reached a phone call from Paul, a Literary Hub podcast. To hear more, visit LetHub.com. Paul Holden Graber's Conversation with Danny Shapiro.
1: Hello, Danny. Hello, Paul. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. I feel like it's been ages, and I'm so happy to catch you right now.
0: I'm delighted to hear your voice.
1: Tell me, what, what, what is happening these days? What are, you, what are you up to, and what am I interrupting now?
0: Huh. Well, I'm, uh, I just started my book tour for my new book, Hourglass. So uh, I'm in New York City. I'm at a hotel and um, getting ready to travel all over the country. So do, really, you're not interrupting anything at all. Do,
1: do, you, do, do you enjoy these book tours?
0: I, you know, in certain ways, yes. In certain ways, no. I, I, you know, what, what it makes me think of is years ago, I um, interviewed Peter Matheson. Yes, you, um,
1: you, you talk about it in the book.
0: That's right, I do. Um, but, but a different. I don't think I said this in the book. He you know, I was like this you know young puppy writer, and he was this, you know, you know eminence. and uh, at, he was about to go on book tour for one of the books in the Watson Trilogy, I think, the first of the Watson Trilogy. And he was, really bemoaning having to go on book tour and his publisher was really making him do it. And I was this really young writer who thought a book tour would be this phenomenal, fantastic thing and how could you not want to go on book tour? And he said, well, what happens is you go to one city and um, you're asked some questions and you give really genuine kind of um, uh, interested, alive answers to them. And then, you know, you get a few laughs for this or that or interest in something that you say. And then you go to the next city and so you say it again, and then you go to the next city, and it started, starts to become embedded in you, and you start to feel like some sort of facsimile of yourself or um, fraudulent in some way about this very thing that is um, your beating heart, this book that, that has just taken everything that you have, your, your, your heart and soul and intellect. And and I remember thinking, even at that time, that I knew that there was truth in what he was saying about that. And, um, and so at a certain point he said, you just... You know, you're alone in your hotel room in a city where you don't know anyone and you just want to shoot yourself. <laughs> and um, I, I took it as a cautionary tale, and I've certainly done book tours myself since then. But that's, that's the danger. The danger is in starting to feel um, that the book is not as a live thing and that it becomes um, simply something that you're hawking. So I'm very conscious of not wanting to do that. Really what I do love about it is connecting with people who have read it and want to talk about it in a genuine way, and also seeing my friends in other cities who I never get to see.
1: Yes, and and you know the the feeling is if it's Tuesday, it must be Brussels or it must be Belgium, and I I think there's a there's a worry that we not only repeat ourselves but that our stories become diminished in the repetition. And I'm wondering, you know, how you can circumvent that. Is there, is there a way of circumventing that feeling that you're, you're going over again and again like a bad musician over the same notes?
0: Right. Um, you know, I have all sorts of um, sort of tools and rituals and, and, you know, tricks up my sleeve that have to do mostly with... A meditation practice that I've had for a long time and a yoga practice that I do when I'm on the road that really do help me to uh, kind of begin again anew in some way, and um, most of the time to feel like I'm coming at this um, as someone who hasn't done it many, many times before. I mean, I'm look, I'm at the very beginning right now, I just get right. my yeah. Third, I just did my third event last night, so I'm at the beginning of this. I mean, talk to me after 26 events, and I may feel differently, but right now I feel like it is possible to stay um, engaged as the person who sat alone in the room for years working on the thing, um, kind of stay in that place, and yet at the same time... Um, Make that sort of half turn into public life, and you know, need to actually put on something other than pajamas and um, you know, be you know, be
1: present publicly. You know, it's it's so rare for me to make this phone call from Paul at the at the launch of a book, partly uh, for the very reason and hesitation and scruple you were describing, um, mostly because. In, the, in these phone calls, what I hope for is a, a conversation that is all-encompassing and in some way not connected necessarily to right. a book itself, but to the person who's written it to the organized web of obsessions they might have. I love the passage about Peter Matteson because, if I remember it correctly, it's a passage where he tells you that... Uh, a certain number of his earlier books are not worth reading, and exactly. and and you are, you are you are I think you're quite stunned by 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 this comment because it's like shedding um, an early um, a, a younger child uh, from one's life, and then I think you continue by talking about Philip Ross who has said or claimed that he is retiring from writing. And what he's doing now is, he said, rereading his own books and yeah. p- perhaps to, to, um, To ascertain if, if there are some that should not be, should not be read, or perhaps simply to read them as if he were not the writer, but a stranger to his own work. And it reminded me a little bit of what Henry James did when he reread all his, his works to provide introductions, those famous prefaces to, to his work. And I'm wondering, um how you understand philip ross's uh, uh, desire, and if you have found yourself doing that as well
0: mm, that's such a great question i I've been sort of haunted by both philip ross the idea of retirement um, writer who a writer who still is um you know compass mentis, has all of his faculties could still be writing uh, choosing to say you know, I'm 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 gonna hang it up now. I wonder whether he really has. I mean, so I, I I have my curiosity about that. But also the idea of going back and taking stock, which was the sense that I had of what he was doing, was really trying to cast a cold eye and pass judgment on his entire ooze and um and I wondered what he would find and how he would feel because I think when we go back and Ever have any occasion to read earlier work. I think it's almost always with a vague sense of, um, embarrassment, maybe even shame, uh, discomfort, like looking at, you know, pictures of oneself in junior high school or, or hearing one's voice on tape or catching an unexpected glimpse, uh, of oneself in an unguarded moment and, um, I actually recently have had occasion to go back and reread passages from my earlier work. I've never done that. I mean, I've never looked. And one of the things that I was so stunned by when Peter Matheson said that about his early books is that I realized at the moment that I I had written, I think, at that point, three novels. And he was dismissing his first three or four books with just the wave of a hand. And I remember thinking... I will never feel that way. I could never feel that these books that I'm so close to, both in time and in you know in terms of my creative process, would ever be books that I wouldn't stand behind. And now I, I hear myself regularly saying to people, "Don't read my first novel. Don't read my second novel." You know, it's, it's good that they're out of print. I'm I'm fine with them being out of print. I was learning how to write in public, and that was just my path as a writer. But there's a lot. To, um, you know, in in terms of the trajectory, when I think about my first novel, for instance, what I see is a writer who has fallen head over heels in love with language and didn't know how to harness it at all. You know, if one simile was good, three were better. Um, You know, I just loved to kind of ride the crest of language and its poetry. And I remember a mentor of mine in graduate school saying, you know how to write a really beautiful sentence. You just
1: need to make sure it means something. Wow! Wow! Um, th- that is a, an extraordinary comment, and I, I, w- I, want to to press pause for a moment on on what we're talking about because, uh, and by, by by that I mean not move uh, not move forward in in another direction, and ask you what you reread of your own, and what the feeling was as you put down. Those passages or those sentences. Mm hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so it's so complex, but. Um,
1: but I love complexity. <laughs>
0: okay. So the reason, I know, mean, sort of the the uh, the inciting uh, reason for going back and rereading is actually has to do with something that I am now working on, which I. I can't talk a lot. Don't, about
1: it. don't, 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 don't even talk about it a little bit, but, but tell me, uh, tell me the rest.
0: I'm going to make the connection for you. So because of what I'm now working on, um, I felt that I needed to understand or at least explore what I knew, but didn't know I knew mm. um, in read mm. in reading. By going back and reading my early work, um, um, let's just say that in in my present life, I've made a discovery um, that really kind of changes a lot, that changes some very fundamental and core things that I thought were true about myself uh, and my family that actually are not. That's all I can say about that, but I became really um, deeply curious about what might be revealed to me uh, that I... You know, there's this beautiful psychoanalytic term that I've learned recently, which is the unthought known. Yes. Okay. I just have become kind of obsessed with that idea. And much of what a writer writes um, comes out of that murky place. And to go back and to see... I was kind of like a detective, going back and trying to see what I knew, what you know, what the twenty-eight-year-old who wrote that first novel might have known without, you know, without thinking. And Paul, it's all over my work, you know, what I what I knew without knowing, and in the novels, uh, in the novels more than in the memoirs, because I think, you know, people often think that memoirs are the most exposing work for a writer, and I would uh, tend to disagree, and really think that fiction, uh, where where the writer is kind of um, not even um, you know, is aware of not being consciously in control, is aware of kind of working from that subconscious dream state, at least in a kind of in a first draft, um, is where uh, so many more clues. To uh, what really uh, drives the writer, I think, can be found. When I've gone to visit a book group or something like that that has read a number of my novels, I end up walking out of a discussion like that feeling like I've just had five years of therapy.
1: You know, it's it, it's so interesting to me everything you say here because, well, you you know, I have a, a passion, and actually had a phone call from Paul with with Adam Phillips, and we mm. we it was a someone i i deeply dearly admire and we we often talk about about issues that um that are really that pertain to our conversation here and one of them has to do with uh reading and rereading and rereading is a form of analysis if one wishes to think of it that way and i am i am particularly interested and have been. It's an an obsession that remains with me and perhaps is becoming more pungent as I age, is a relationship between taste and age, between the, the, uh, to put it now in terms of the books we read and reread, what we once upon a time loved and reread now and wonder why we did, and what we remain and I'll use a word which is very important, I think, in the context of your own work. What we remain faithful to. Mm. And what we what we love, what, what, what endures time. And here, of course, I make I'm making a shift from what you spoke about, because in a sense you spoke about rereading yourself. Here I'm. I'm talking about the very act of rereading, and perhaps it yes. isn't one's own self one is rereading, though one is always reading with oneself.
0: Yes, yes. I mean, it was what what comes to mind uh, immediately for me as you say that is um, Elizabeth Elizabeth Hardwick's uh, beautiful work, um, *Sleepless Nights*, um, which is a book, um, along with many others, but a book that just came to mind that I reread once a year. Uh, and my rereading of Hardwick, same with *Mrs Dalloway*. I reread *Mrs Dalloway* um, probably close to yearly. Um, there is this sense of the self constantly um, on on shifting sands, uh, and yet at the same time, certain authors or certain works by certain authors that in that endure in that way in rereading because it seems almost, even though of course those works aren't shifting, that they are because of the consciousness that's been brought to bear on the work itself.
1: We we uh we are changing. Yes, we are changing. You know, um, since I think both of us have uh, what one might call a, a deep-rooted desire. To mention certain works because they become signposts in our life. Or well, at least that's how I understand it, at least for myself. Um, my, my quotomania is really less to impress the people I quote these, these lines to than to both see their reaction to those lines and because they, in a way, they're part of my landscape. And one such quotation that came to my mind and I will read it to you in the context of Hourglass, uh, your your current book, which is a, a quotation from Umberto Eco, where he says, "We l- we like lists because we don't want to die," mm. and I'm I'm wondering how that line strikes you and how you might weave that line into Hourglass.
0: Mm. Uh, that's uh, that's Strikes me very powerfully. I think we, uh, in Our Glass is, of course, full of lists, um, old lists, uh, mostly lists like found lists that in, I mean, there, if there's anything more poignant than a found, than a discovered list of that, that one's younger self wrote in, you know, the frenzy and, uh, intensity of that moment of what was somehow important to remember or important to set down or important to do and how that seen, uh, in retrospect as, uh, you know, almost, um, there's a kind of a poignancy to it. Uh, like, uh, there's a, there's a, a sentence in hourglass. I'm not fond of quoting myself, but there is a sentence which is, you know, this, this, the woman today looking back at her younger self and saying how can i tell her that her lists will not protect her yeah um so you know the 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 umberto echo uh you know this this idea that if we um if we hold on if we if if we if we you know grasp uh a kind of pattern um or uh you know this is what I need to do or this is what I need to remember and I need to set it down because it's not going to simply sort of stay within my consciousness. Um, but, you know, what, what you said, Paul, about the, you know, the quote, quota a mania. Um, I, I wonder too, because we, we do share that. And I, um, and when I do quote, I'm never doing it to impress. I, I it's, 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 um, it's it's just what you said. It's both to see how that quote lands, but it's also maybe even more so a kind of ballast for me. Uh, You know, one of the things I had to be very careful about when I was writing Hourglass was not to overquote, Um, because I I would regularly reach a moment where I was trying to really dig into something, and I would think to myself, well, you know, Rilke said this better, or you know, I think I'll turn to Didion now, or uh, because And and I I really had to be very careful to fight that impulse or that sense of myself as um, the student in some way or the disciple or the, you know, sitting at the feet of and actually, like, assume the seat myself and try to find, you know, to to really push myself to try to find
1: my own words. Well, you know... um it's, since we're talking in some ways in analytical, in an analytical context, I, I think, I, I love that word ballast, which I'll, I'll I'll use, something that keeps you from drowning, the quotations in some way help you not to drown. Um, I, I think one of the fears that I sometimes have, and I can imagine for you writing this memoir, and I want to ask you why another memoir in a moment um, the fear is am i speaking in my own voice and do i have a voice and what is that voice or is my voice simply made of um, virginia wolf and peter mattison and so many other people you mention? i mean there's one in particular that i'll come back to in a moment a poem which is just extraordinary, which I did not know um, called Could Have. But before we come to that, I, I'm I'm just curious if, if that was the fear. Was the fear that your voice would be swallowed up? I think there's
0: always been. I mean, it's, I, I'm, I'm thinking about very early on as a writer and being a student, uh, a student of writing. Um, whatever that whatever that means really, uh, but you know, being you know, kind of in a in a in, a, in an apprenticeship uh, that in, involves I mean, it involves reading. Um, I don't understand when my students don't read. I don't understand when they want to be writers and they don't read. It baffles and it baffles me and it pisses me off. Uh, it's like how how can you how can you become what you what you don't what you what you don't know and um, and how can you not you know how how can you not um, have the kind of passionate curiosity about what's come before you, but I digress. Um, I, as a student, was afraid of influence. I was afraid um, that if I read work that I admired so much that I wanted to be that writer in some way, that I would attempt to emulate that writer. And if I attempted to emulate that writer, that I would not find that very elusive thing, which is, you know, my own voice. And I don't think I'm as afraid of that anymore. I think over, especially over very recent years, um, the kind of distillation that I, you know, of language, the compression of language that I have been more and more compelled by uh, feels like my own. Um but at the same time, when I think of who my, you know, my, my who I surround myself with, I mean, I certainly surround myself with with very close friends who are writers who are peers. But when I discover um, a writer, for example, not not as well known as she should be because writing is not primarily what she did, but the sculptor Anne Truitt, um, who wrote these beautiful journals of of her creative process, when I discover um a consciousness like that i really want to inhabit it to you know to i feel she's she's been dead for years and our paths actually only crossed once at yato and i was too afraid of her to even introduce myself um, and i didn't know her work yet and that that was a missed chance to meet someone who is extraordinary but that kind of um, uh relationship is what i'm after you know whether someone is Alive or is no longer with us, but I'm less of, I'm less afraid of influence, and I think maybe that's why those quotes could find themselves. You no, know, they they could find their way into my work.
1: Well, in in a, in a way, you've graduated from from Harold Bloom. I mean, there is no longer the anxiety of influence um or or differently put and i think bloom actually would agree it has become part of your your own being Uh, the predecessors are there um in 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 a sense to to um contribute and enlargen your 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 world and i think the fear one might have which I remember so clearly when I was teaching a hundred years ago, students sometimes worried to read secondary literature because they felt it would take away from the, the, their own opinion. And I kept trying to, to tell them that their, their opinion would be formed by something quite different. And, um, it would be an informed subjectivity that in some way would be enhanced by, by really by really deeply reading. Uh, Danny, why another memoir? And you have very interesting things to say, I might add, about the origin of the word memoir.
0: Mm. Um, a, 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 another memoir because it was what I had to write, um, not, not because of any uh, intent or, or idea or, um, you know, preoccupation or... Um, you know, sense that it would be some, a good thing to do. I mean, really I was, I was waiting for the next novel to materialize as I have been for a while. Um, and what instead kept on kind of like knocking at my rib cage uh, was this very terrifying idea. And, um, and it, it, it grew out of an essay that I uh, had been struggling with and had found extremely challenging Um and finally, finally had cracked it open and found its spine and understood it and finished it. And the next morning, after I had finished that essay, I woke up with the very, very unwelcome thought, this isn't an essay, it's a book, and it's not about what I thought it was about. I thought it was about what I understood it to be about was time and memory, and I was very interested in inheritance, literally in things, like the things that... Uh, I had inherited from my mother who had passed away, what to do with them and where to put them or how to bring myself to get rid of them and I was really thinking about all that, Um, but I I, I woke up with this very clear realization that it was marriage that I really needed to write about my marriage and I had come across this um, essay that I do write about in the book, um, Wendell Berry's beautiful essay, Poetry and Marriage Um, and, and there's this Phrase within that essay, which is very, uh, describes it as the problems of duration.
1: I I, I want to read that passage. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I want to read that passage and for you to talk about it a little bit more. I have not read Wendell Berry's essay yet, but I I really intend to. Partly because I I think coming from a family where my parents were married for seventy one years. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it strikes me as something so epic, so, so extraordinary, uh, to, to, to be married for such a long time, um, and to find perhaps poetry in, in that duration. Um, that I'm I'm going to definitely read it. But what you say about it, and it's towards the beginning of the book, towards the beginning of Hourglass, you say, A 70-year-old student, a retired professor of literature, asks me if I know Wendell Berry's essay on poetry and marriage. I do not. The next day, a copy n- nearly, n- neatly stapled is waiting for me on the workshop table. Barry is interested in the troubles of duration, in the forms of both poetry and marriage. Form serves us best when it works as an obstruction to baffle us and deflect our intended course. It may be that when we no longer know what to do, we have come to our real work, and that when we no longer know which way to go, we have begun our real journey. A mind that is not baffled is not employed. The impeded stream is the one that sings.
0: If, if you could see me right now, I'm just—I closed my eyes and I was just smiling, listening to you reading that. so—I find it so beautiful and so profound.
1: What about the idea?
0: It? Well, I think part part of it was. Part of why it struck me so hard was that I was in a place, of, in that place of bafflement in some way myself, of, um, you know, in a uh, very contented and yet at the same time complex marriage of 18 years, um, now 20, um, nearly 20. Um, which is nothing compared to your parents right uh but it's just well, like a baby it, marriage it,
1: it would be a, he, my father would have said to you it's 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 a beginning
0: it's a beginning right um, but i the, the 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 idea of that um, the impeded the impeded stream is the one that sings the idea of the um the beauty and the uh the sort of elegance and an elegant in that kind of stripped down whittled kind of bare bones kind of way um, that comes from those um, troubles of duration the idea of being in a marriage with no Exit strategy with no escape hatch. With the intention, on both people's parts, that we are in this for that duration, not out of a sense of like, well, oh well, I've I've given up, or um, you know, this is just the way it's going to be. But really, the beauty of the struggle. um, I wanted to. It became clear to me that I wanted to explore the complexity and the beauty. Of what it is to be uh, to form yourself not in a vacuum uh, and not in a kind of random way but alongside and against another person you know we we might not be growing at the same rate at the same time
1: and looking in the same direction
0: right I mean yes Uh, there's that sense I mean I, I actually when I when I finished the book, I, one of the first people that I sent it to is a close friend of mine who, uh, makes a brief appearance in the book, but there are never any names, uh, in, in the book really, but there's, uh, she's the, uh, the Buddhist teacher Sylvia Borstein. Yes. And she's a close friend and she's been married for 60 years. Uh, she's 81 now. And I really wondered what Sylvia would say about this book. You know, it's a good start. And she called me a couple of days after she read it, and there's there's a shape in the book that goes from, it's when I finally understood what the shape of the book was, because it's not narrative, and it's not linear, and it's a mosaic, and it's, very, it's a very delicate structure. The moment that I understood it was there is an, a point early in the book where my husband says to me about something I'll take care of it.
1: I'll take care of it and everything will be all right, yes.
0: Everything will be all right. And and I'll take care of it becomes a bit of a a, of a leitmotif in the book and my sense of almost an infantile um, uh, desire to have that be the case, right? You know, to have things taken care of. And then there is a moment later in the book where I'm looking at him, he's asleep, and I'm up late, and I can't sleep, and I'm looking at him sleeping, and I think to myself and to him, I'll take care of it. And at that moment, I understood the shape of the book, and I understood something, I think, about being with someone over the duration, which is that this, and this is what Sylvia said to me when she called, she said, it's like a hot potato that is passed back and forth between a couple over the course of a lifetime, like I can I can hold this hot potato right now and carry it for a while.
1: And and um, what in in a, in a sense also, our glasses is about the the idea of what we can and what we cannot bear. Yes,
0: yes, and
1: what is unbearable, or what at a certain moment. Um, seems unbearable or seems to be what will separate two people
0: right and then what happens if they simply stand there and let that wash over them you know what what happens if that simply is a storm that passes Uh, you know there's there's an extraordinary to me extraordinary moment uh that i write about where my my 92 year old aunt yes I'm, ver- I'm very close and she is one of the wisest people i know and um and a very spiritual person uh, and she called one day and she caught me at a pretty vulnerable moment and i found myself uh in tears on the phone with her uh, which was the last thing i wanted to do was burden my 92 year old aunt with my my feelings my overflowing feelings and but i was i was in in a Sad and vulnerable place, and she paused and she listened to me, and then she said, "Sweetheart, I remember that really difficult twenty-four year period that I had, and after that twenty-four year twenty-four year period ended, uh, there was you know such grace and light on the other side of it. And it just—I mean, it's funny in a way, and it's also utterly terrifying." The idea of—I mean—a twenty-four-year. There, there will be people who read this book who aren't even the age that is, you know, that her her dark period entails. Um, and yet, what does it mean to stay? And you know, are,
1: are and, and why does one stay?
0: And why does one stay? I mean, I
1: and why does one leave?
0: And right, and and when you know, there, there's actually. A, a, another moment of realization for me, which is when I, I, I consider the idea that it's not the mistakes we make in our lives, but when we make them, um, you know, I was married twice before I married my husband. I was 19 when I, you know, hop, skipped and jumped down the aisle that first time with no more sense of myself or any idea of what I was doing. Uh, than you know, a, a, you know, a, a puppy really, and that very brief marriage and that divorce um, really did not cost me very much emotionally, because I was twenty years old, and there there weren't sort of deep and abiding consequences. Um, whereas a relationship in which. There is this kind of long and deep and profound shared history. I guess the feeling that I have is that that is a thing itself of so much, at least for me, the feeling is of so much value and um, depth. And it, it, it is its own secret language that is between these two people no other two people will ever have these shared experience and these or, shared experiences and this secret language
1: or, or, or um, I- in a way it makes one think that to love someone for a long time is to share their adjectives mm-hmm. mm. yes their adjectives their verbs you know their 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 language you Carry around with you what one might call an an anthology of quotations, and I think of it, you know, as as one used to speak about them in in, in France as a florilège, the most beautiful flowers, or an anthology, which means virtually the same. You write down quotations from from different sources, from everything you read. I imagine that that strikes you are there any in particular that that carry meaning for you that that you you remember that you could read yeah i i
0: um it, it's it, yes um and you know I, I love i love the 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 french the, the florilege uh did i say that remotely
1: correctly you you absolutely did florilege <laughs> um
0: the you know uh, the books themselves are are very very small. These these little books that I keep, and I'm only on my third one. Um, in in this practice that I've had now for a dozen years, and I think it's because I'm so um, I'm careful about what I what I include in these books because I feel like what I include in these books really does become a part of me. Um, and I, th- I think what I'd like to read you actually is. The the Wieslawa uh, poem that you referenced earlier.
1: Oh, could ple- have. oh please um, do. It is. I, I discovered it because of you. I was to meet her once, and it never happened. And I must say, this poem strikes me as, in in a sense, it strikes me as nearly the secret code to your book. Mm, I, it,
0: it, it strikes me as the secret code to my life. I, I, I there is. Uh, there is a way in which the uh, the the obsession that I have long had with with time and with um, possibility and with um, coincidence and uh, the sense of um, you know I, I, in, in in my memoir Devotion I think is you know it was born out of that obsession too that 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 sense of what does it. Uh, What does it mean to know that every single thing that we do matters? (laughs) Every, every choice, which way to walk down a street, uh, which subway to get on, which flight to take, uh, which salad to eat at lunch. And if, yet if we actually thought that way about living, we would become so completely paralyzed that we wouldn't be able to, uh, you know, to, to get out of bed in the morning. Uh, and the, the, the beauty of, uh, of, of embracing the not knowing, embracing, uh, you know, just the, the fundamental truth of that. So um, so this is uh, Shimbors- Shimborska's poem called Should Have. I'm sorry, could have. That's hilarious.
1: Yeah. Have. Well, in a way.
0: Uh, in a way. It could have happened. It had to happen. It happened earlier, later, nearer, farther off. It happened, but not to you. You were saved because you were the first. You were saved because you were the last. Alone, with others, on the right, the left. Because it was raining, because of the shade, because the day was sunny. You were in luck. There was a forest. You were in luck. There were no trees. You were in luck. A rake, a hook, a beam, a break, a jam, a turn, a quarter inch, an instant. You were in luck. Just then, a straw went floating by. As a result, because, although, despite, what would have happened if a hand, a foot, within an inch, a hair's breadth, an unfortunate coincidence? So, you're still here, still dizzy from another dodge, close shave, reprieve, one hole in the net and you slipped through? I couldn't be more shocked or speechless. Listen, how your heart pounds inside me.
1: Truly extraordinary. And um, why is it that it speaks so, so firmly to you about your whole life?
0: I think because I grew up always knowing, believing, you know, to go back to the unthought known, um, that there were whole layers, whole stories, secret, secret truths uh, that I didn't. No, didn't have access to, couldn't touch, whole sort of parallel stories kind of spinning in other dimensions that I couldn't quite get my hands around. And I think that that had everything to do with my becoming a writer, uh, and probably quite a lot to do with the fact that I've continued to write memoir, even as I've waited for the next. Novel to materialize, and so as a writer, as as a as a person walking through the world, this idea of these other these other worlds, these other stories that are you know kind of orbiting or circling around us that we you know that we don't know, that we can't know, that we may know someday, um, that we can't remember. Uh, it, because memory is also this mutable and constantly shifting and changing thing you know just the kind of ungraspability of it all I find um, in equal parts uh, you know utterly discomforting and also strangely uh, to really kind of sit with it and understand and the truth of it is also somehow liberating.
1: Danny, it's been a, a, a true pleasure to talk to you. And on this tour, I, I hope you you have moments of, of discovery, not just repetition, but discovery.
0: Thank you, Paul. That's the, the, the nicest blessing I could be sent off with, and, and this is... Uh, been such a wonderful conversation. It's
1: been wonderful to talk to you and, and bon voyage on, on, on this voyage you're taking now. Merci. Bye bye.